Last week, we began our study in 2 Corinthians. Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Paul came to the wild town of Corinth on his second missionary journey and started this church filled mostly with Gentiles. Paul preached for about 18 months before leaving to share the gospel in other territories. Soon after Paul left, the church began to unravel. So Paul addressed the issues and wrote some harsh but honest letters to the saints in Corinth. 2 Corinthians is so very different. Paul shares his heart, reveals his struggles, and preaches that God's power is best shown in weak and fragile vessels just like himself. This is going to be an amazing study. I am so glad you're joining us today. But before we focus on two truths and an assignment, let's pray. Oh God, you are the King of Kings. There is no God like you. You are sovereign. Your plans are secure and will not be altered. Someday, Father, every knee will bow, and all those who are part of your family will enjoy your presence for eternity. You are a good Father. So we go to you. We don't always understand your ways, but we trust you. We ask you to provide for our daily needs. But we also ask, because you are our dad, for strength and perspective. We ask that the plague, the virus, would be destroyed. We pray for those who are suffering with it. And we pray for those who are caring for those who are suffering. And Father, we pray for those fighting for a cure against this virus. We ask, Lord, that you would use our suffering and pain to draw us unto yourself. We pray that we would be your hands and your feet and your mouths in our world today. We ask that there would be a great revival, a great awakening, a great drawing of peoples, all people groups to yourself. We give you thanks, Father, for all things. All things. We thank you especially for walking with us. We thank you for the breath that you have graciously given us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for our church, the Cross Point community, and for the church that is spread all over the world. Lord, we ask that you would teach us today. We ask that you would open our eyes. We ask, dear Lord, that you would use this pastor to teach your word. May your spirit be so abundantly active and may you, God, receive honor and glory. Change us as we hear your word. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your son's name. Amen. I'd like to start off 
today reading through our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. So you can follow along on the screen, or you can open up your Bibles or flat screens. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. As I said, we're going to focus, first of all, on two truths and an assignment. So let's reread 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. <laughs> Paul starts off saying, All praise to you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you because you are a merciful Father, one who brings comfort. We adore you. We joyously talk about you. We sing about you. Right away, Paul establishes two facts about God. He says that God is his merciful Father. Father means that he has a relationship, that he is part of his family. He said that his Father is merciful to his children. He's not an ogre. He's not harsh and unkind. He is a God who moves toward his kids. Let me read some other scriptures to help us understand how much God loves us and is merciful toward us. Micah chapter 7, starting at verse 18. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? 
overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. In Lamentations chapter 3, the faithful love of our Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Our God is merciful. But God, our Father, is also the source of all comfort. He alone brings comfort. Let me read Psalm 119, verse 76. Now let your unfailing love comfort me, just as you promised me, your servant. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17 Paul writes this, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Then our text goes right to our assignment. God my Father gives me an assignment. He is merciful he is the source of my comfort, and as a result, he gives me a task. He wants me to comfort others who are suffering in the same way that God has comforted us. Now, how does God comfort? There are three pictures that at least come to my mind right away. And God helps us understand how he comforts, I think, by using these illustrations. First of all, he talks about himself being our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We prayed through Psalm 23 just a few weeks back, but it is so comforting to understand that our good shepherd desires that, well, we have all the right food, we have all the right drink, that he walks with us through all the troubled times in our life, that we bring himself glory as we obey him. Uh, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And his unfailing love and great mercy pursue us. Plus, we will someday spend eternity with our God in heaven. This is a good shepherd, and, and this is a shepherd that comforts his sheep. We also know that um, God called himself a king. And like a good king, those who live underneath his reign and rule thrive. In Psalm 97 and Psalm 99, the psalmist begins saying, for God is our king. And citizens love living in a kingdom ruled by a good king, but a perfect king like God 
who is just and wise. They thrive in. And then lastly, I think that um, a good picture that God gives us about himself is that he's our father. And like a good father, he comforts those in his family. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes this, See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And, and that's just what we are. So all the way through the scriptures, God refers to him as a father. So although good shepherds and kings and fathers all comfort, today I'm going to focus on how a father comforts. First of all, good fathers provide for their households. They provide the basics, the food, the water, and the shelter. But they even provide more. They provide clothing or the ability to get to a doctor and get medical care or get hospitalization if needed. Good fathers help the education of their kids. They provide transportation. They help them get involved in activities and even allow them screen time if they're really good. Good fathers protect their families from enemies. Uh, enemies like bullies or abuse or predators. They provide internet firewalls and healthy house rules. Good dads establish a peaceful environment called home. And in this home, a good dad will love God, love his family, and love God's church. A good dad has earned respect because of his wisdom and wise choices. A good dad has established house rules so that there's not anarchy and everyone can live together, but also expects obedience to these rules. In fact, let me put it this way. There is great comfort and joy in a good father's home. In a good father's home, families experience life. They thrive. They have a purpose. They're motivated. Families are grateful and thankful to the good father because they're part of this household and part of this experience. Families who have a good father are loyal to him. Because of their respect for him, they desire to please him. Families who have a good father also are team players. They sacrifice their own good in order to benefit others in their household. Our God is a perfect father who comforts us in the midst of a messy world. It is comforting to know that our perfect father is in control. He's sovereign. So many of us are reminded about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when Paul writes and says that all things, good things, hard things, bad things that happen to us, well, God is king. He's in charge and uses those experiences 
to benefit each one of his kids. That's quite the promise. If we read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37, Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? At the end of Job, he writes this, Job 42, I know that you can do anything, God, and no one can stop you. God, you are sovereign. You are king. All things happen underneath your control. Nothing happens unless you allow it. I also know that um, we receive great comfort because of what God does for us. You see, God brings us life. We have freedom from sin's guilt and power and presence. And we find in Romans 6, 7, and 8, the Apostle Paul just energized by these truths. He is so grateful that he doesn't have to live with sin's guilt, that it's been paid for, that he has been justified. Jesus died on the cross in order to pay our debt. And we don't have to live with that guilt. That's comforting. He also has died on the cross in order to relieve us from the tyranny or the power of sin. So that we don't have to um, submit to sin's power in our life. We have a new master and that's Jesus. And lastly, we can look forward to literally um, being with God forever. Absence of any of the presence of sin. And that's what our eternity looks like. What's odd about this text, though, is that Paul says is that one of the benefits, one of the comforts that God gives us is that he allows us to go through hard times or he lets us suffer because there are some benefits in suffering. Wow. You see, um, the first thing we realize is that suffering literally forces a dependence upon God. I love the story in John chapter 6 when the disciples are with Jesus and Jesus has been teaching all day long and there's at least 5,000 people in the crowd. And near the end of the day, Jesus looks to his disciples and says, hey, I, I think these guys are hungry. We better feed them. And the disciples look around and go like, are, are you kidding me? And they start asking around. The best they can come up with are some fish and some rolls, some bread. And, and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we, this is all we have. And Jesus thanks the Father, divides up the food, and feeds the crowd. What's so cool about this is that, you know, these hard times, this question, like, are, are you serious, Jesus? We, we can't do this. We, we don't know how to do this. But trials strip away the worldly resources that believers trust in, leaving them completely dependent on divine resources. They can't do life on their own. What they have isn't enough. And when we suffer, when we hurt, when we're perplexed, 
we go to God. You see, suffering makes our faith stronger, makes us more dependent upon God. Sufferings also remind us that life is temporary and that we need to really focus on the future. That 70 or 80 or 90 years here is a drop in the eternal bucket. When we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be focusing a little bit on eternity and to be reminded over and over again that that suffering reminds us very clearly that not only life is temporary, but this isn't what God intended for all of us. It's, it's what sin has caused and our rebelliousness. Oh, we're going to look forward to eternity with our Father. Sufferings also help us relate to Jesus' suffering when he was here on this planet. We know that all God lovers will suffer simply because Jesus suffered. It's a great story in Acts chapter 5. The church had just begun and the disciples and apostles, excuse me, were out preaching the word and the religious leaders didn't like it at all. So they called them in and they beat them with rods and told them, I don't want you talking about Jesus anymore. Well, they looked back at the religious authorities and said, not talk about Jesus. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. And the scriptures tell us that they left rejoicing. They left with their backs bruised and bleeding. And were so grateful that they could suffer in the name of Jesus, listening to Jesus. Another odd thing is that sufferings actually bring God glory. So many of you remember the story in John chapter 9. But Jesus and his disciples were walking along and they saw a man who was born blind. And the disciples asked a simple question. Hey, uh, is he blind because of his sin or his parents? Oh, Jesus loved this because he was able to clarify and to help them understand that it wasn't because of the man's sin or the parent's sin. Jesus simply said this. He was born blind so that when I came by today, I could heal him. And people would rejoice. I would be honored. There would be great glory given to me once I healed this man who was born blind. So sometimes we suffer so that God could be glorified. It's hard to understand. But that's how God works at times. And then we suffer sometimes just to teach us to obey. You see, just like any kid, sometimes we think we know more than our parents, or in this case, our perfect father. God wants us to experience abundant living. God wants us to listen and knows that when we disobey, that we suffer. Because sin always brings death. And God wants us to thrive. That's why he gave us his word. 
And so the scriptures tell us, especially in Hebrews chapter 12 and Romans chapter 5, that God disciplines, God spanks every son or daughter that he gets. If for some reason we don't want to listen, God is not going to stand back. He wants us to enjoy and to thrive in life. And he knows exactly how to spank us. He knows exactly how to discipline us so that we are reminded that obedience is best. Let me read from Psalm 119, uh, verses 67 and verses 71. Psalmist writes this, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. You know, I, I think as we go through this scripture, um, some of the confusion leaves as we continually read and focus. So let's do that one more time. Let's read through 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ, even when we are weighed down with troubles. It is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. I think a major reason that each one of us, each one of God's kids suffer is so that we might be able to encourage others on the journey. This is huge. Let me try to explain. God comforts his kids when they suffer, when they hurt, when they go through pain and discouragement and disappointment. Specifically in this text, Paul is talking about suffering because you follow Jesus. And he's saying, the more that we suffer as we listen to Jesus, as we follow Jesus, as we serve Jesus, the more comfort God supplies for each one of us. In other words, if we didn't suffer, we would never realize the blessing that it is to have God, our Father. Jesus' followers suffer. Their focus is the kingdom, and it's not themselves. Paul writes to Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer. Again, simply because your focus is not going to be yourself. Sometimes the suffering comes from others, 
But sometimes the suffering happens because of choices in your own life, because you want to seek first the kingdom. You know, those who follow Jesus will suffer. Their bank accounts and their calendars will reflect this. Generosity simply means you have less in the bank. You have less to spend on yourself. You have less, well, things that you're going to be able to purchase. You are being generous so that the kingdom of God advances and others are encouraged. So you suffer. You also suffer, or shall I say generosity means that you have less time for yourself. You have less time for your own pleasure, for your own things. You see, as you follow Jesus, you serve others. So sometimes you're doing that as an Awana leader, or sometimes you're teaching children. Or sometimes you're counseling at a camp. Or sometimes you're on a mission trip and you're encouraging others. You sacrifice your vacation time. You sacrifice, well, every Wednesday, every Monday, every Sunday. And you pour and invest into others. Less time for yourself. It costs to follow Jesus. Yet it's fulfilling and life-giving. I know it's tiring, but it's amazing. You see, what Paul is saying is we want others to experience God's peace and power. We know that comfort comes in the form of peace because as you make wise investments and as you obey God, there is this confidence that you are pleasing your good, good Father. There's peace. Comfort comes in renewed energy and passion for the daily task and the fulfillment that you get as you watch changed lives. It's exciting to not only serve others, but to disciple others and then watch them be able to serve others and disciple others. God also comforts us whenever our pathway is rough. Serving takes a toll on you. I get it. But also life is hard. We can be God's hands and feet and mouth for others. We are not given comfort by God so that we can hoard, so that we can hold up. But we're given comfort so that we might be able to be in the trenches with others and comfort others as they're hurting or discouraged or in pain. In order to provide comfort for others, God allows us to suffer so we can feel God's comfort. In fact, let me, let me put it this way, is that We can um, 
or, or let me say it this way. At times, we are weighed down with troubles so that we can experience God's comfort in order to provide comfort for others, which can be how God rescues them. Imagine, we are part of God's first responders. We're part of God's rescue team. And the only way we qualify is if we go through difficult times to understand what that comfort is so that we might be able to encourage others on the journey. Paul then gives an illustration of how this works with even more benefits of suffering. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Paul says this, we were crushed. We were overwhelmed. We were at the end of of our rope. You would think that would be a bad thing. But Paul saw as a benefit when he was just totally spent. Nowhere else to turn. He says, we depended upon God. We felt his arms. We experienced his power. He did rescue us. And we have confidence because of this that when we go through bad times, hard times, difficult times again, he will also rescue us again. As a result, the whole church is strengthened, not just Paul. He says this, is that people gave thanks to God because they knew God was the only one that could deliver. God got glory. Paul was rescued from a dire situation. But everybody knew it wasn't Paul. It was God. Prayers were answered. Can I highlight something here? Prayer was critical part in Paul's rescue. I'm not sure how it all worked. I'm not. But I know this, that Paul said this, is that prayer was part of the rescue. What a privilege for the church. The folks at Corinth couldn't be with Paul, but they prayed. And God received glory. Remember in James 5, we just finished the study, but the earnest prayer of a righteous man has powerful results. That we can come boldly into God's throne room. And we can partner with those in the field and partner with God as we pray passionately and fervently and earnestly. 
you know, I'm not sure how many of you have been uh, enjoying the huddles, the daily huddles. Well, in the beginning of this week, the Harders actually had a huddle. And it was such a joy to be able to hear from Brendan and Drew and how they've walked through this COVID experience and how God has healed them. Well, near the end, um, Drew shared how she was so encouraged that people prayed for them and the, uh, actually prayed for all of them. But once they found out that uh, Brendan had COVID, that literally they prayed that Drew would be rescued. And Drew and the kids weren't rescued totally, but they got hardly any of the symptoms that Brendan got. And if you, well, let's watch this clip and hear what Drew said. How cool is this? Is that God's people pray and it makes a difference and God is glorified. You see, God does know best what to allow in our lives. And when we suffer and when we hurt, the good news is God will comfort us. But it's not just about us. It's about after we receive the comfort, we can do the same for others on the journey. So let me wrap this up. In James chapter 1, as again, we just finished this study, but, but we go back just for a moment and in verses 3 and 4, uh, James says, rejoice when troubles come. This is a good thing. There are so many benefits when you suffer. Well, one of the benefits is that we can walk along with others. We can help them understand how amazing our good Father is. We can proclaim to our world that in spite of the hurt, the suffering, the confusion, that we have a God that walks with us and rescues us and protects us, and encourages us. I think God has put us on the planet for such a time as this. In fact, I'd like to close right before I pray, reading from Psalm 96, verses 1 to 4, verses 7 to 10, and verse 13. Because I think the psalmist has caught the privileges we have is that we can tell others, we can proclaim to others about who our good, good Father is and how wonderful it is to be part of His family. Let me read Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things He does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared among, above all gods. O oh, nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. 
bring your offerings and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have a relationship with you. We, we don't deserve that. But God, you are the good father to all those who come to you in faith. And Lord, we are so grateful that we can live with you. That your spirit lives in us. And that as we do life, as we go through life, whether it be good or hard, that you will be there and you will comfort us. But God, it's just not about us. We get to tell all peoples how wonderful you are, how great it is to have a good father, how much comfort you bring us, and how we can trust you, whether times are sunny or times are stormy. Lord, we thank you. And we thank you for the assignment you've given us, that we can walk with others in community, encouraging, strengthening them, reminding them of your goodness, of your power, of your rescue. We are a blessed people and we thank you. And we pray these things in your son's name.